everyone. I hope you're really well this week. Welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me, your host, Zoe Blasky, where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. My mission with this podcast is to help you reconnect to you, to feel happier, more joyful, calmer, and more alive, whatever that looks like for you. So maybe this podcast is going to inspire you to look at your health and self-care. Maybe it's thinking about your career and making work work for you. Maybe it's looking at your relationships or your relationship with yourself and finally addressing that inner critic and making a commitment to being kinder to yourself. So I chat to all sorts of well-being experts and game changers to help you become your healthiest, happiest and most alive version of you because that is what I think is the most inspiring thing to become for our children. This week I wanted to tell you about an app I've recently discovered and I'm really happy because they are now supporting the podcast. It's called Family Album. It's absolutely free on the App Store and has over 5 million users all over the world. So I was looking for a way to share photos of Jessie and my growing bump with mine and Guy's family, but without clogging up their phones with messages. And that was totally safe and secure. And this app is perfect. It's free, as I said, it's also ad free. And what my family have been loving the most is the one second movies, which the app automatically creates for you. My granny, who is 87, says she cries every time she sees one. It's so sweet. I highly recommend you check it out. Search family album wherever you get your apps from. Now onto this week's episode. Welcome to this week's episode of the Motherkind podcast. This week, I am talking to Dr. Emma Svanberg, who you might know better as the mammologist on Instagram. So Emma is a clinical psychologist and her mission and passion is supporting people during the perinatal period. So during pregnancy, birth and the early years. We have a brilliant and wide-ranging conversation, starting off talking about the pressures of modern parenthood and this perfect storm that we all find ourselves in. We, as adults, I think, want to continue with the same goals that we always had. And I think a lot of people find that when babies come along, you know, their hope is that, well, they'll be able to carry on with exactly the same achievements and goals that they had beforehand. And it can be such a shock to the system. We talk about what being good enough looks like, We have a fascinating conversation around attachment theory, which is the theory that your relationships that you have with your caregivers provide the blueprint for the rest of your life. So we talk about that, but in the context of having other people look after our children, which is just, I got so much from that discussion, it was brilliant. It's a two-way process, so it's the bond that you have and the kind of relationship that you develop, but also then the relationship that they're developing with you. And the theory is that that will create a blueprint for all of their other relationships. Emma also talks about feminism and how her views of feminism have changed, given that the work that she's done working with parents. We also talk about the importance of community and vulnerability. I hope you really enjoyed the episode. If you did, as usual, please leave an iTunes review. It does make a huge difference to the number of people that we can reach with the content. And if you aren't signed up to my newsletter, I've recently revamped it. and I'm sending it out weekly. 
where I share everything from my thoughts around the inner child work and healing work that I've done is what I sent out last week. This week, I'm going to be sending out my reading list. So if you want to know what my top, 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 top self-development and the books that have changed my life are, then sign up. So you just pop onto the website, motherkind.co, pop in your email and you will be added to hear from me once a week. Here's the episode. So Emma, welcome to the Motherkind podcast. Thank you for having me, Zoe. Oh, well, I've wanted you on for a long time. So I'm really excited that we're finally chatting this afternoon. Yes, me too. (laughs) So we're going to talk about the pressures of parenthood. And it's such a big topic, but I think something that we all feel, you know, I don't know a mother or a parent who doesn't feel sometimes this overbearing pressure of all the things that we've got on our plates. So I think it's going to be a really important discussion and hopefully a really affirming and validating discussion. Let's just get straight into it. You know, your work, you see parents day in, day out. What are some of the big pressures and some of the big things that you see challenges with modern life and modern life as a parent? The main work that I do with people is related to their mental health problems. So, you know, the majority of the clients that I see would come to me because they're feeling that their mood has been impacted in some way during that perinatal period. So whether that's during pregnancy or after birth or in the early years of parenthood. And I think what I'd really noticed over the years that I've been working with people is that so much of that is often related to external pressures. So sometimes there might be other things going on too, but there's always this sort of contributing factor, I suppose, of these external pressures that we put on ourselves and in some way I think that's because of as you said Zoe they're kind of modern lives that lots of people lead where there are just so many different things that people are trying to juggle day in day out so you know people are working even if they're not working actually just managing a house managing all of the life admin school admin as well as childcare. those things can be enough pressure but then all of the kind of added extras that I think we've added on over recent years so there's a real, I think, drive at the moment for parents to get things right all the time, to feel like they are parenting in the most ideal way all of the time. And then what's come alongside that has been a real loss of support from other communities. So people tend to be living further away from their families. And also we are more isolated generally as individuals. So we've sort of lost that community that perhaps used to support us more with some of those pressures. I talk about it as a perfect storm in yes, so many ways. Yeah. And I think parenting standards have risen. I mean, if you think about it, it wasn't that long ago that people would just smack their children to get them to yes, do what they want. Yeah, and so yeah. I think that's a great thing. But at the same time, support seems to have diminished by the yeah. same amount. So we've got this expectation that we know so much more, I think, about parenting and the impact and the brain development of a child and we know so much more and yet more of us are working than ever before as you say more of us living are away from families so I think we've got this real perfect storm of more pressure but way less support 
Yeah, and I think partly that's because we are living further away from families, but also because we've lost a lot of the support that we would have received from local services. I mean, we all know that midwives and health visitors are much more stretched in the last 10 years since austerity really hit the NHS. And actually, I think a lot of those things that people won't necessarily have noticed, but just being able to go to a local children's centre for a weigh-in, but know that you've got a health visitor there who can give you the time if you need it to be able to just talk things through would actually have prevented I think a lot of those problems from getting worse whereas now if people feel that they do need more support they have to jump through a lot more hoops until they can find somebody who's able to give them that support that's what we hear from people and I think also alongside that a lot of us have changed the ways that we are choosing to parent and I think that can also cause conflict from family members where perhaps support might be offered but people often talk about that not always feeling like the right kind of support or not necessarily the support that fits with their kind of parenting aims or goals if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think lots of people will resonate. I posted on Instagram the other day about boundaries and my inbox was flooded, like hundreds about in-laws. How do I set boundaries with my in-laws or my own parents? So maybe we get into that later on. It's very tricky though, isn't it? Because I think we always have to remember that parents and in-laws and other friends and family members are often, they're doing their absolute best with the information that they had and the context that they were in. And I think, like you said before, we've learned so much about child development in the past 15 years. And I think while that's hugely beneficial because we really know the value of parenting and caring for children, it also does really add pressure. We really know what's at stake from the kind of parenting decisions and the caregiving decisions that we make. So what do we do then? What do you advise around this duality of knowing the importance of this role, the profound importance actually of the role of parenting and mothering, and yet knowing that without putting ourselves under so much pressure that in fact we do more harm than good? So I think that comes back to that phrase that is often bandied around at the moment of the good enough mother. You know, so Donald Winnicott talked about that in the 1960s and he called it a good enough mother because it was predominantly mothers who were caregiving at that time. Now we could just say the good enough parent or caregiver. And essentially what that means is really trying to think about that fine balance between trying as hard as you can, you know, making an effort, but not aiming for perfection. And actually what Winnicott said originally was that aiming for perfection is just as damaging as being neglectful because actually trying so hard to be perfect takes you away from actually being able to tune into what your child needs at that particular time and equally obviously being neglectful is also a disconnection from your child so I think it's really around finding that very fine balance between trying making an effort but accepting that you're going to be making mistakes along the way. I do think at the same time though we are juggling so many different responsibilities and while I think there's been lots of changes in the ways that we parent in modern day society I think what's also happened is that there's kind of been a devaluation of children in a way we as adults I think want to continue with the same goals that we always had and I think a lot of people find that when babies come along you know their hope is that well they'll be able to carry on with exactly the same achievements and goals that they had beforehand and it can be such a shock to the system when you find that actually you've got this 
new different creature who you're entirely responsible for and who is essentially very demanding. I think that can be a real shock for a lot of people that they really have to renegotiate some of their expectations in both, you know, what they can achieve in longer term, but also just in their day-to-day life. Mm. And that in itself can add pressure because I think that can cause a real conflict between giving up on some of the ideas and ideals that you might have had before becoming a parent. And how would you help someone? I think that's really going to resonate with a lot of people listening. Mm-hmm. How would you help someone who's finding it really hard to square that circle? Yes, you know, I've got all yeah, these dreams. It's, hard. it's really hard. And I think partly it's just acknowledging how hard it is. But actually, a lot of the time, our expectations are so different from the reality of parenthood. I mean, it's a very individual process, really identifying for each person. Then what do they want to do with that? You know, is that then around figuring out how they can change or alter some of those expectations that they had previously to be able to then accommodate this very needy, very wonderful new creation? Or is it also around then getting support in so that maybe you can still achieve some of those goals? But, you know, again, it's all about flexibility, really. And I think that we can often talk about parenting in a very black and white way and anything that sort of introduces a bit more flexibility and a bit more nuance into that is always helpful. But it's very individual, you know, different people come to those conclusions in different ways. It's also, I think, around identifying that it not only comes from a sort of personal pressure, but there's also a societal pressure just to kind of get on exactly as you were before. And I encourage a lot of the people that I see to, you know, really examine some of those stories that we've been told before becoming parents ourselves and just really think critically about how accurate they are. And once you shave off the reality of it, it becomes a little bit more easy to challenge and think about, well, actually, if that's not the story that I want to believe, then what kind of story do I want to create for myself? Mm, that's really powerful isn't it to yeah do that bit of self-reflection yes absolutely and you know sometimes you do need to do that from somebody it might not be a trained professional like me it might be friends or family members too but I think it's often hard to think about to untangle yourself from that while you're kind of in the thick of it coupled with tiredness yeah uh, you know the matrescence you know all the hormones the, all those challenges it can be incredibly difficult can't it to get that space to think well hang on what stories am I believing and what feels right for me yes and what feels right for you as a couple too you know we sort of talk more about mums but of course dads and partners go through their own transitions and their own pressures and often they're very different Mm, Absolutely. So we're talking about pressures of parenthood and you mentioned relations, you know, with our partners, Mm -hmm. whatever that mix looks like, or if, you know, you might be a single parent, what are some of the pressures that you see coming up there and some of the big challenges with relations when we become mothers? So thinking about particularly the partner relationship, I think that often there becomes a sort of triangle. So, you know, before that, you've been often, you know, just a duo and you've survived for however long you've been in your relationship as just a twosome. And I think the first big challenge is that at some point, often the partner can feel quite pushed out, particularly if you are pregnant. You know, there's an experience that happens to one of you that is not happening to the other one. And that is often for a lot of couples the first time when their relationship takes slightly different paths. So beforehand, you know, you might have gone through education together, you might have had a career trajectory together, and then suddenly one of your experiences is very different to the other. And I think that's why I sort of 
became more interested in feminism when I started doing this work because for a lot of women it's the first time where they think oh hang on a minute I thought we were supposed to be equal and now all of a sudden my partner's life is kind of continuing on pretty much the same as before and my life feels like it's changed completely so I think that's the first big challenge and then how do you negotiate that as a couple you know how much can a partner who isn't pregnant help to support you through that journey after the baby is born you know there's again that sort of how do you negotiate that triangle to make sure that the partner still feels included particularly if a mum is breastfeeding that can sometimes feel quite excluding to partners but then there are other jobs and roles that a partner can do that mean that they're very much involved in their baby's life and in their day-to-day routine and again I think often for a lot of mums in particular they talk about how in those kind of early weeks they really have this pinpoint focus on their infant and that can often be to the exclusion of everybody else you know including their partner so again Donald Winnicott talked about this idea of primary maternal preoccupation where we have such a focus just on keeping our baby safe on really tuning into their needs on listening to their cues and we now know from all of the neurological studies that have been done that there are brain changes that go alongside that and that can again feel quite difficult for the person who's maybe on the outside of that dyad so if there's a partner there who's kind of thinking how do I kind of get in and get a bit of that focus back for myself that can cause some challenges. Yeah absolutely and I'd really like to get into your realisation actually and your growing interest it sounds like having done this work in feminism because Mm -hmm. it's so nuanced isn't it and complex I know when I think about this because what does feminism look like in motherhood and early motherhood to you? Mm -hmm. I think it's so different for different people but I guess I mean, maybe I'll just tell you a little bit about my sort of journey through it. Oh, yes, please. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I I was always really interested in, I guess, what would probably be known as second wave feminism now and started to become interested in third wave feminism. And we've kind of now moved on to intersectionality. And it's something that I absolutely love about Instagram is that I've learned so much about the kind of different schools of thought around feminism, around kind of gender equality, how much historically feminism has excluded women of colour from all of those conversations, how much feminism still excludes people who maybe previously didn't identify as women. You know, so I think that that's been a real kind of process of learning for me. And initially, I think when I first started looking into this, first started working with bums, you know, my belief was very much women should have a choice, absolutely, which I still believe women should have a choice about how they bring up their children whether they want to work or not whether they want to stay at home whatever that is their choice should be supported and I think that focus very much more on women because that was predominantly and still is predominantly the people that I see but I think as my thinking has changed I have realized how excluding that is for their partners in many ways attachment theory which has been a big part of my work that kind of came up in the 60s and 70s where traditionally women would be the partner who would stay at home looking after the baby and wouldn't necessarily want to go out and have a career. So a lot of that thinking has come about through the experience or the expectation that there will be one single caregiver looking after a child. And, you know, there has been kind of cross-cultural research done 
looking at how different that is across different countries and cultures. But I think if we're looking at modern families, that's not the case for a lot of families nowadays. There might be a partner staying at home looking after children full time. There might be a juggle. For a lot of people, there are two partners kind of juggling as best they can. For a lot of people, they're looking after children single-handedly. And also there might be other caregivers around. There might be grandparents. There might be other family members. And more and more people are using external sources of childcare too. So I guess thinking about how that's shifted in looking at kind of attachment research, you know, we don't know so much. I mean, there's a lot of research going on, but actually how do children connect to all of those different caregivers? And I guess where that's kind of changed my thinking about feminism is while I still believe that feminism about women having a choice, it's also about how do you support women within their family unit to really be able to fully realise their choices. And I think we can only do that if we look at other systems, such as the brilliant work that Anna Whitehouse and Joelle are doing around flexible working. You know, we can't really give women a true choice about how they want to work unless their partners are also able to contribute fully to childcare. So I think that's a really big part of the equation. I could talk about this for hours, Zoe, so do stop me. No, no, it's absolutely fascinating. And I think I'd love to get in a little bit more about attachment theory and attachment parenting and how that looks, given your skills and experience, when you can't be with your child 24-7, which is... Yes, yeah. And I had a friend who asked me the other day, actually, she said, I really believe in attachment parenting and, you know, I really understand the importance of it, but Mm. I work and I can't square off those two. And I think there'll be a lot of mums and caregivers who feel the same way. So what's your updated, I guess, is what you're saying. How can we update attachment theory? Does it have a place today? Yes, I mean, it definitely does, because I suppose it's always will remain around connection. You know, attachment really just refers to that bond that you have with your baby or child. And it's a two-way process. So it's the bond that you have and the kind of relationship that you develop, but also then the relationship that they're developing with you. And the theory is that that will create a blueprint for all of their other relationships. And I think you're right. You know, a lot of people will be listening to that and go, oh, God, that makes me feel really guilty Mm -hmm. because what is that blueprint that I'm creating for my child but I think that is the essence of it there is I think a confusion between attachment theory and attachment parenting so attachment theory is based out of psychological research and anthropological research in the 60s and 70s but which has been a huge area of psychology and infant mental health it's a big area of research that has been going on since then um, in child development and family life And it also affects the way that we relate to people as adults too, because the idea is that these blueprints are things that follow us around for our entire lives and affect the way that we then relate to others that we come into contact with. So whether that's colleagues or or romantic partners, that is a relationship pattern that develops and follows us around. Attachment parenting is something that is completely different. So that is a set of parenting techniques that was developed by the Sears, Dr. Sears and his wife, Martha Sears. He's a medical doctor and that was through working both with his own children, but also with working with a 
lot of families as a family doctor. So I think there are seven different kind of tenets of attachment parenting. I'm sure somebody will correct me on this, but they would include particular techniques such as co-sleeping, extended breastfeeding, baby wearing. I think probably attachment parenting, those who kind of adhere to those principles would argue that that probably would increase the potential for a secure attachment. But I don't think, I might be wrong about this, but I don't think there's been any research that actually link those two things together. That's what I find so interesting when you talk about blueprint, because my little girl has a nanny. It started off one day a week and, you know, now she has her three days a week. But I was really, really careful and maybe neurotic (laughs) about (laughs) understanding the lady that I brought in to help care for Jessie, I really wanted to understand a little bit about her family background. I really wanted to understand about how attuned she was to herself. So I asked her in the interview, I didn't ask her about what's your views on weaning or what's your views on... I asked her, how do you look after yourself? How do you feel about yourself? What's your relationship like with yourself? And she said, no one's ever asked this before. And I said, well, you are going to be modelling to my daughter for however many hours a week. And I know that if you're attuned to yourself, you're going to be able to attune to her. Absolutely. So it's interesting. That would be amazing if people did adult attachment interviews when they're interviewing nannies. Well, I didn't know that's what it was called. I was just going off. <laughs> there is a very sort of complex tool that you can use okay. to look at people's attachment patterns. I think what you've cottoned onto there is just around making sure that whoever is going to be looking after your child is somebody who is going to be able to provide them with what would be called a secure base. So it's somebody who is going to be there for them to help them feel safe, somebody that is going to be a consistent caregiver that they know that they can trust and who loves them. You know, we talk about so many different ideas and theories and what is good in childcare, but essentially a lot of it comes down to finding somebody who is going to really love your child and who also really likes them, you know, who really likes children, who wants to spend time with them and who is going to be able to create that really secure base for them. Mm-hmm. And it's easier to do that with somebody like a nanny who you can interview. You know, lots of people also use grandparents. That can be tricky in itself because if you've had a tricky relationship with your own parent, it can really raise a lot of old baggage when you see them with your own child but even in nurseries too you know you can even though there might be different caregivers there you know your child will have a key worker and you can get to know that key worker you can get to know what they're like and really think about whether they can provide that kind of really nurturing environment for your child and I think a lot of that is around knowing what questions to ask but also visiting different places being able to see do the kids look happy do the kids look like they're contented are they well looked after you know, I think if you're, especially if you're visiting nurseries, really looking to see what happens when a baby cries or when a child cries, are they responded to? How are they responded to? You know, those are all of the little nuanced behaviours that we do day in, day out that will lead to that child developing a sort of pattern of who they are and how they relate to the world and the people in it. Mm, and I'm loving this discussion because I can feel like it's a guilt eraser. You know, I think so many mums can feel guilty that they're not the one with their child. But, you know, for me, I've sort of reconciled this by thinking I'm lucky enough to have a nanny. I'm totally aware of that privilege. Mm -hmm. Not everyone can have that. But with my setup, I think actually she's having the benefit in some way of experiencing 
life through someone else's lens, you know, not just mine. Yes. Yeah. So I sort yeah. of see it as a real positive, having done a little bit of, as you said, you know, I've definitely chosen someone and I went on pure instinct. I didn't even look at her CV, if I'm honest. You know, I just went mm-hmm. on, does she feel loving and warm to me? Yeah, That was what I asked myself. So I really hope that anyone listening who's feeling so guilty about working, maybe. Yeah, I hope that actually this conversation could really help alleviate some of that. Yeah, so I think also we have to remember that we live in a really unusual parenting environment. You know, if you look at other cultures, parents do not bring up their children on their own you know there are not mothers sitting at home alone with children in lots and lots of other cultures you know there are grandparents around and there are aunties around and often it is extended family members who do the childcare while parents work you know that is in many cultures that is how children are raised and I think the way that we live now you know again going back to the idea of pressures there is this pressure that we should be doing it all on our own, that we should be the ones who are looking after our children single-handedly, that we should be coping with it all without any extra support. And it's just not realistic. You know, we physically and mentally, that takes a toll on us, you know. And, and actually, exactly as you said, you know, it's beneficial to our children too that they have other attachment figures around. Within the first six months to a year, you know, children really start looking around for other people. You know, they are influenced by other people they still like to have one person that they sort of really latch on to but from kind of 18 months onwards that's when kids are really starting to explore their other relationships and you know when we're talking about attachment really what I'm talking about is in that kind of very early childhood so let's say from zero to three and then they start to branch out a little bit they start to get influenced by other people then once they get to sort of seven or eight that's when that kind of attachment blueprint is something that's been internalized so really then they're looking to move out of the family and we can worry a little bit less although of course it's still important that they have people around that they can trust but they have that kind of internalized sense of safety at that point yeah I've been told that many times that zero to seven is your job sort of done after that I don't know. I'm sure that's not the reality but I think yeah I, I don't know if, if, if you talk to a parent of a teenager they might say something a bit yeah different. exactly exactly <laughs> I think the point that you raise about how unnatural it is in so many ways. And I spoke to Dr. Gabor Mate, whose work I'm sure you'll oh, know. Amazing. Yeah. And he's huge idol of mine. Right. Well, he's been on and, and he said, you know, the way that we mother and parent is totally unnatural. I can't remember whether he said this on there or off air to me, but he said, We will come to see your generation of mothers as a big experiment that didn't work. And I found that so validating because it's almost like, you know, we're talking about the pressures of parenthood and it's like if you're feeling the pressure and the overwhelm, it's because it is pressured and overwhelming and we're not supposed to do this alone. We're not supposed to be making the organic meals, you know, holding space, doing self-care, working full time, living our dreams. You know, it's ridiculous in so many ways and yet, Going back to what you said earlier about stories, these are the stories that we've internalised and then we're wondering, aren't we, why it's so hard? I think it... I do it. That's why, the question. Why, yeah. why is everyone else coping and I can't do it? Yeah, and then the shame comes in. It must be me. Yeah. 
Yes, absolutely. And I think this is why I started blogging originally and why I sort of like to write on social media, because I think there's so much power in just knowing that you're not on your own with it. And I do this kind of monthly meetup called The Village in my local area. And we had a meeting a couple of months ago and, you know, somebody had mentioned something about feeling like they were just winging it all the time. And, you know, I just said, could everyone put their hands up if they feel like they're winging it half the time? And everybody obviously put their hands up. And people said to me afterwards, you know, out of the discussion, that was the bit that will stay with them because they just needed to know, oh, thank God for that. You know, it's not just me. Everyone else hasn't got everything together. You know, everyone's struggling just like I am. But yet we give this impression. And that's the thing that I'm becoming really interested in. You know, we give this impression that we're coping. And there's such a huge gap between the reality that I hear from so many parents and the impression that we give to the world. Like on the surface, if you look at Instagram, you know, all of these parents are coping beautifully and they are managing to cook their organic meals and they are managing to create brilliant businesses from their kitchen table. But then there's that mismatch between what we're presenting to the world and actually our internal experience. Yes. And the greater that gap gets, the more individuals will then say, this is a problem that I have. I must be depressed or I must be anxious rather than maybe there's something going on here that actually is really damaging for a lot of us. It is so interesting you say that because I'll have these conversations, you know, day in, day out. Like you, it's my mission and my passion. Yes, and, yes. and then I'll go to collect Jesse from nursery and everyone will be pretty nicely dressed, chatting about the mm. weekends away or the holidays or play dates or swimming lessons and it's really interesting to me to notice that. And I think I, because of the work that I do and the conversations I have, sometimes I feel like I'm on a one woman mission at the nursery gate yes. because I'll say, I feel really anxious. Yes. You know, I've just done this. And sometimes not many people, most people are like back away. <laughs> yeah. I know that is the tricky thing, isn't it? Because when you do decide, actually, I'm going to allow myself to be vulnerable. I am going to lift the lid on the reality. Because we're so invested in that story, people will respond to that. You know, people will reject that because it's like, oh, hang on a minute. This isn't how we're supposed to do things. But the more that we talk about it and the more that we are open about our vulnerabilities and our difficulties, my hope is always that there will be that kind of drip drip you know if you look at Instagram as a really I think brilliant example of a community that is talking openly about mental health that's talking openly about parenting struggles of course there are other aspects of Instagram that, that don't do that but you know the kind of communities that I'm part of people are very open about their experiences and you know if we can do that on a social media platform where we have a certain amount of anonymity then you know eventually we can do that on the nursery run and at the school gates and at work and, you know with the other wider community. How do you invite people that you work with to start taking those tentative steps towards perhaps being more vulnerable because it has to be done very carefully doesn't it I mean I'm a bit different because you know I have some training and I you know I do this work so for me I feel very comfortable being vulnerable knowing that if someone shames me I'm not going to go into a shame spiral you know yeah but we we have to be very careful of course you've done that work you know I've done done that work yeah 
I think just as for you, Zoe, you know, that is a lot of the part of the work that I do. So I work mostly psychodynamically now. I work around the relationship. The model that I use is a kind of brief psychodynamic model. And essentially what that means is that I'm interested in exploring that blueprint, you know, so thinking about the relationship that somebody comes with, how that is impacting on their parenting and also where that came from originally. And for a lot of people, for whatever reasons, they've learned not to trust people in a variety of different ways. And a big part of the work that I do with people is just that within our relationship, you know, that therapeutic relationship is around feeling what it feels like to start to trust somebody. So to start to open up to somebody, to allow yourself to be vulnerable in a therapeutic space and just see how that feels. And, you know, know that somebody will hopefully contain that. And of course, you know, I don't always get it right in therapy. I, and I always invite clients to say, actually, it didn't feel very held at that moment. But then the more that you do that in that sort of safe space, the hope is, is that then you can start to explore how to do that in your other relationships too. And I guess what I notice with clients is that often people will come and say, but I can't possibly talk to people about how I'm feeling. Or I have tried to talk to people and it hasn't been well received. But often there might be other barriers that might be related to, you know, your relationship history, to the kind of patterns that you've developed that are kind of stopping you from asking for help in the way that you really need it. So maybe you're asking the wrong people, it would be a simple answer, but also maybe, you know, you ask for help in a way that doesn't really invite somebody to help you. Or maybe actually there aren't the people around you who are help giving, and then it would be around thinking about how to build up those communities too. That sounds like your community. Can you just say where you run that? Because I know lots of people are going to be thinking, oh, where's this village meetup? Okay, so we meet in North London in East Finchley. I'm based in North London and we meet on the first Thursday of the month in the evening. Um, But I'm just in the process of trying to figure out how to get something online because I get a lot of messages from people who obviously aren't able to make it to North London. And it's essentially a discussion group. So it started off as a kind of just parent meetup. And over time, it's kind of evolved so that I have a guest speaker every month. We'll talk about a particular topic that's related to parenting or psychology or family life. This week, we've got somebody coming to talk about school transition and kind of helping children cope with the stresses at school and and all of the kind of big feelings that come up when you're going through that kind of school transition. So we talk about a variety of different topics. What I'm trying to do is think about how I can do something like that online. So whether that would be like an Instagram live so that there's an opportunity that people can join that community from elsewhere. But we do also have a Facebook group, which is called The Village. I can send you the link to that. And it's not a very active discussion group, but hopefully it will become more active once more people get involved from further afield. So people are really welcome to join that if they want to. Sounds fantastic. We're coming to the end, so I'm going to ask you the final question. But before I ask you that, is there anything else that you want to share about you or the work that you do or a message or anything else before we draw to an end? Well, I guess the one thing I haven't mentioned at all today is the other aspect of my work, which is Make Birth Better. That's an organisation that I set up with Dr. Rebecca Moore, who's a perinatal psychiatrist. And that is an organisation that we run, which is dedicated to reducing the impact of birth trauma. And I know that birth affects a lot of people in lots of different ways. And if people do feel that that's something that has touched their lives, then do please take a look at the website and reach out to us if you feel like you need some support or would like to discuss anything 
favour. That's become an increasingly large part of my work. So can't not mention that. Fantastic. And very, very needed. And Dr. Rebecca's been on the podcast. So someone could scroll back and find that episode too, if that's something that's coming up for them right now there is support on the podcast for that issue i've had a book published in july that i keep forgetting to mention which is also related to birth trauma so that's called why birth trauma matters that was published by pinter and martin in july oh wow fantastic you kept that very quiet i did I know. why did you keep it so quiet <laughs> Well, it was published. I did talk about it on social media and then I have August off. So I need to now publicise it a little bit more again. Oh, fantastic. Okay. Well, people are definitely going to be checking that out. So that's called Why Birth Matters. Why Birth Trauma Matters. Why, Why Birth Trauma Matters. Brilliant. Okay. So on to the final question, which is if you could give all the mums in the broadest sense of that word, you know, all the caregivers, one gift in the world, what would it be and why? I would give them individualised support and sort of chose that very carefully because I think support means so many different things to different people. So support in the way that they would like to receive it. And the reason for that is that I think the majority of people that I see major contributing factor to their difficulties is lack of support and part of that is about validation too so I would give all of the mothers in the world the knowledge that what they are doing is incredibly important and to be valued in my eyes kind of above all else. I absolutely agree with you I don't think there's a more important role in the world than raising children oh thank you so much i've loved our conversation it's it's been a real pleasure so happy to talk to you thank you so that's it thank you for listening to the episode i hope you really enjoyed it and if you did please do leave a review on itunes it does make a massive difference to the number of mums that we can reach with this content if you were listening to that episode thinking about one of your friends that they might benefit from what we were chatting about, then just tag them in on Instagram. My bio will include the link to the podcast so they can find it really easily from there. People often tell me they're desperate to share it with their friends. So if that's you, then please do. I feel like the guests that we have on the podcast, their wisdom just deserves to be heard far and wide. So help me make that happen. I'd be very grateful. And also, if you want to send me any comments or thoughts about the episode, then please pop over onto Instagram at motherkind underscore Zoe. And also just to let you know about my coaching. So I do work one-on-one with mums on my programme, which is a three-month programme called Reconnect to You. So if you want to work with me on taking your power back in any area of your life, then please do get in touch. Just drop me an email, zoe at motherkind.co or look on the website, www.motherkind.co. That's it. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care.